Borak Thong Earthlets. Before we start the show, I just wanted to do a quick plug. This week, I'm appearing on the Mega City Book Club podcast, talking about one of our favorite thrills from the dawn of 2000 AD, Invasion. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode, and you can find it at megacitybookclub.blogspot.com or on your favorite podcast service. Also, stay tuned for later in this week for our own Invasion coverage as we release the Space Spinner 2000 collection for Invasion this Friday. Check it out. Quack, quack, and Splendig Verthrig! Borak Thong Earthlets! My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 61st episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for February 1981, progs 198 to 201. This week, we'll fight off thrills suckers, skank with some atomic pirates, and run afoul of furry bandits as we experience the 200th Prague extravaganza! Oh my god, it's just overflowing with amazing content, like the stories we read from last month, but continued. I mean, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have these stories on and off for like five more months, Fox, so you're gonna have to... <laughs> You're gonna have to learn to like it. They're good. They're I good guess, stories, buddy. <laughs> like, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, two hundred, two hundred came. It was there. Yeah. I I was not thoroughly impressed with the two hundred extravaganza. What? <laughs> I mean, the content was great. Yeah. Okay. What are they good? You know, they can only do I didn't so get much. The fucking poster. You know, you could make I'm that not cool like some kid from like Worthington, Worthshire. Look, we like, can we, got it framed, and I'm jealous. We'll get there, but you could you could make that poster if you wanted to, buddy. You got all the materials that that kid in, in 1981 has, except except in a special magic format. Well, yeah, yeah, dude, you, you you got a printer at your work, I'd imagine. You got pieces of cardboard lying around the street or something. Just It'll just. Work. <laughs> grab I, some. I definitely work at like a Kinko's. Where I can yeah, <laughs> grab some cardboard, print some stuff up, make that poster, put it in your wall, and then when you move, take it through customs and try to explain it. That's what I say. <laughs> oh, boom! Anyhow, sorry, I could take we're that out if you to, want. No, no, we're going to a third country now. <laughs> Anyhow, let's get started with Thrill One, Tharg the Mighty. So, He's uh, pretty much confirmed. A lot of Tharg this month again. We've had a lot of Tharg in the last couple months. Um, He's kind of like into him. Well, it is the year of the alien. That's it true. Is like the best one, I guess. That's that's also true, yeah. So, script robots are unknown. I'd imagine some mix of like Steve McManus and Richard Burton and all those guys. Um, no, our- dog, it's real life Tharg stories. <laughs> it's Tharg Root. <laughs> Live it up. The art robots are Ian Gibson writing as G. Twerk and Carlos Escara, Larry Robot Steve Potter. So, uh, we all, you'll remember, Fox, that Tharg killed all the thrill suckers back in Prague's one, in Prague 180, episode 56 of the podcast, right? And what a handy thing that was, too. Yeah. I hate those guys. Or so we thought. 
Oh my god, they're back and in another comic. <laughs> yeah, it turns out that some thrill suckers hit out um, sucking the thrills from ants in a local ant colony until the coast was clear. They've rebuilt their army. They're now massing inside the ear of a suspenders-wearing skidhead kind of kid. So watch out, Tharg. Yeah, like, they went from gross to worse. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the Thrill Sucker army leads an assault on Tharg himself. Most die in the attempt, but the Thrill Sucker general manages to latch on to Tharg and suck out so much Thrill power that he starts to grow to massive size, th- swallowing Tharg in his gross proboscis, almost, uh. <laughs> almost certainly giving several impressionable young readers vor fetishes. Tharg. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tharg makes a duplicate of himself that then creates rapidly reproducing anti-thrill sucker microbes that defeat the beast, Boragthong. This doesn't work. Something bad's gonna happen because of those little glove-wearing bastards. (laughs) No, man, it's the early 80s, so you just sort of introduce weird microbes and let them go, and that's just sort of how things go in real life, you know? Yeah, definitely. Nature will take care of that, Tharg. Or nature will will take care of that, everybody. It'll be fine. (laughs) I just feel like, you know, what if they mistake, like, a human being because they're kind of a shitty guy or something, you know, really taking the life out of a party and they just beat the shit out of him to death? Good. Be cool, everybody. (laughs) Flip it up. Yeah. I want some some loser making my party non-thrilling. The guy's got to get dissolved by punch by by microbes with boxing gloves. That's all I say. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, always. So, final story. It's the 200 Prague anniversary as aliens arrive from all over the galaxy to to go to the uh, Din Kenny Kebab House, which is a <laughs> a fictionalization of a restaurant nearby the 2080 offices that staffers hung out with after work. Oh, yeah. hey, cool. Choice in food, guys. Kebabs are delicious. I mean, you know, it's, it's England, so it's all that kebabs and curry and stuff, right? Um, so, Ascara's really going all out with all these alien designs, but then the dictators of Zrag attack. And this ain't gonna end well for those weird lumpy-headed fools. <laughs> yeah. They pose as belly dancers and offer Tharg a plastic cup laced with explosives. Well, they beat up like hot belly dancers first and then wear their clothes it's like oh terrific they're evil dictators you know that's pretty tharg eats the cup but instead of exploding he lets out a massive burp that lets the that sets the room on fire it's the hit of the party and tharg tharg finds and miniaturizes the dictators puts them in a doggy bag and leads everyone on the party off to the after party on beetlejuice so, like, everyone partied out. Like, they were like, that's awesome, you burped fire, this whole place is screwed. Yeah. And the guy who owns the restaurant's like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, he's down with it. He knows what it's like when you book a party with Thargians, you know? Your place is going to yeah. get destroyed, but they also have that uh, massive 2000 AD money to help uh, cover your expenses. I'm sure it'll be that's fine. That's pretty fair. And robots. Yeah. Well, the robots don't have any money, you know, but that doesn't matter. <laughs> I was going to say slave labor, but, you know. I mean, you know, that asks serious questions about what robots count as in ni- in early 1980s Britain. So let's not get into it. <laughs> Instead, let's get in to 
Thrill to the mean arena. Speaking of getting inside something. Oh, so, so script robot for Mean Arena is Tom Tully. Art robots are John Richardson and Steve Dillon. Lettering robots Steve Potter and Peter Knight. Because, you know, like the shark, like you got to get inside its mouth to like, you know. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I was going with you. I was fine with it. <laughs> I, I wanted to kill my joke. I'm sorry. <laughs> the game's underway. Matt Talon gets the ball, easily evades a pair of shark players to score, throwing the ball down the shark's gullet for three points. Yeah, but like he just runs by it and nails it. He doesn't have to get inside. Also, I, is his superpower just getting around goons? Yeah, that's why they call him the Shadow of wherever he's currently playing out of. I think. Because he's real fast and smart, I guess. Yeah, he's got the uh, the agility that that you that uh, plants crave, you know. Um, so, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm I'm silly today. No, um. no you're amazing. <laughs> it was great. I I just want to say as an aside, he doesn't use the bullet suit once in this. I feel like, and it really mm-hmm. upsets me. No, he's definitely not blasting through as many things as he could be. Anyway, please continue. Yeah, so the Sharks get the ball, and their best player, Jaws Jensen, keeps it. The team quickly moves to the Slayer's goal. When Jensen is confronted by Talon, uh, he passes the ball to a teammate, ordering him to go inside the Shark goal, where he equalizes, but then is bitten in half by the goal. It's yeah, not- it's like <laughs> real not great for dude. <laughs> in my mind, I imagine that this Shark mouth is opening and closing far faster than they're making it seem like it opening and closes. Because yeah, they mentioned that the teeth are super duper extra extra sharp, so like touching it's a bad idea. Like you'll just get screwed. Yeah, and you earn like one point for knocking out a tooth and three for um, throwing it through the mouth. And Talon was like just tossed it in the mouth, and that was fine. He got the points. So like from the pictures and stuff, I'm imagining it as like a mini golf obstacle, but I think it's more just like a like a kind of thing. Well, I definitely feel like if it was going slow, he'd just be able to get out anyway. It's a convoluted fucking trap. It definitely explains, yeah, why this guy, got, why one, of the, why the player that goes in the goal to score is then cut in half by the goal. <laughs> Talon calls out Jensen for his callousness. He related to the death of his own brother. Uh, Talon's getting heated, but he's not going to take down Jensen yet. Instead, he draws his droid gun and fires the ground, marking the spot on the pitch where his brother started to die. And this is where, like, I kind of get it started interested in Mean Arena. Like, there, he's going to hunt down all these dudes. Who responsible for his brother's death. Yeah, it makes the previous sort of alluded to revenge story of Mean Arena a little bit more sort of in stark contrast, I'd say. Well, it finally fucking started, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, now that we've got that started, let's uh, take a pause. We'll go to halftime. And let's <laughs> do some uh, player profile on Slayers member JT Venner. Ooh, he's a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's like, yeah, he doesn't want to talk to anyone. Get out of here, cameras. I'm a surly guy. I don't want to. I hate yeah. everybody. I mentioned both this one. This, uh, like, all this story is drawn by Steve Dillon in some of his first work in, uh, in, the, in proper 2000 AD. It looks really good. Yeah, he'll sort like of facial expressions and stuff. Yeah, his work on in in, in these little parts of Mean Arena will get him more work in Mean Arena to come, and then you know, for just general work in 2008. It's often mentioned like like oh yeah, Dylan's stuff in Mean Arena is sort of what got him started. But so uh, 
Yeah, Venner's a jerk. He didn't used to be. He used to be cool until his substitute lurker leech got tired of never being able to play street football. Because remember, you know, subs can't come in until the guy they're subbing for is either killed or incapacitated. And Venner just kind of kept surviving. I feel like that's just going to breed those people to kill you. Yeah, it seems like it should happen more often, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, or that's why it's there. But then, like, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. So eventually, Leech decides to take matters into his own hands, uh, trying to run Venner down in civilian life. Yeah. Oh, it's weird. Like, there's all, there's like this situation or a bunch of situations where, like, he almost dies and the dude's getting, like, really into it. Like, a little bit mine explodes, but he doesn't get. Like in any way physically harm. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a montage of just things that should injure or kill Venner and him miraculously surviving unharmed and Leech being like, ooh you know. <laughs> like I almost got him. Yeah. So later Venner's gun jams when he's trying to shoot down an Android opponent player, and after that happens he realizes that Leech is after him. During a later match, Venner runs into a death trap set by Leech. With no one to help him, the two play cat and mouse until Venner manages to turn the tables and trap Leech in a laser war arcade game, which kills him! It's like, it's this super awesome build-up. Like, yeah. these last two comics look really good in terms of just a... A psychopath story. Yeah, it's definitely like mounting tension. Yeah, like they sort of play this crazy cat and mouse game where it's like, you're like, I'm coming to get you, Venner. You should have let me play it sometime, you know? And then. Yeah. So, but, but now as a result of the death, Venner is sullen and mean, and you should definitely not count on him in a tight corner, which I'm sure won't come up at some point in the course of uh, Mean Arena. (laughs) Where it gets rectified in some way and it builds a character, but it some great personal loss or expense. You know, let's put a pin in it for sure. So, uh, <laughs> play resumes and Talon quickly scores two points by knocking out some shark teeth and then proceeds to rile up the shark's fan, cutting like a, a WWE style promo on the yeah. city and the team. It's like, you guys suck. All of the sharks suck. Everybody who likes sharks are stupid. Sharks are dumb and lame. Absolutely. Everyone's like, oh, don't say that about sharks. I love them. And then the pickaxe shows up. Don't insult me, town. Yeah, so uh, Jensen uh, is clearly shaken by this. He has the team punt, and it's quickly recovered by, by Matt Talon. Talon's then attacked by a shark's fan attic. Which is fanatic, but with a dash in it, I suppose. Let us, I don't get it. I feel like so he comes on there with a pickaxe, yeah. And I feel like this a lot. Of this is reference to like early '80s, like soccer hooliganism references and stuff, or trying to distance it from that. I think this is sort of something that's underlying all these uh, Mean Arena um, stories. I think. Gotcha. But so um, during the fight with the fan attic. Uh, Talon accidentally passes the ball to Jaws Jensen. Talon gives chase, stopping to enlist some of his own team's fanatics to take down Jensen. Then he used shortcuts to arrive at the goal ahead of the shark score. He just like jumps right down in front of the dude yeah. and he's just like, sup? And he's like, how 
How did you get here? It's like I'm, I'm quick, dude. Then he uh, he he takes out all of Jensen's blockers with a boom, with a boomerang, which we, you'll remember we call a screamer here in street football. Oh, that's right. And then he confronts Jaws one on one, but Jaws is cracked. He he pulls his droid gun and tells Talon that if Talon loves his brother so much, he can join him and fires. It's murder on the street. Next episode showdown. I liked it. Like, uh, I, I think I had mentioned to you earlier, like, I'm, I'm kind of not going to shit on Meltdown Man this month, I feel on, like. On, on Mean Arena, you mean? Uh, mean Arena, thank you. No Jesus. problem. Um, and I, I really like the JT Werner stuff. Like, yeah, that was cool. Good bookends, too. Yeah. Yeah, just in general, no. like, decent stuff. Still wish I knew more about the damn game. I uh, don't worry about that too much. Now this is a revenge story with a sports background, and that's fine. <laughs> yep, it switched gears well enough, and I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. So, okay. Hey, Fox. Mm-hmm. We've had some action, but now let's get to the good stuff real early. Oh, fuck With yeah. Thrill 3 Return to Armageddon. Oh my god! <laughs> Script robot for Return to Armageddon, Malcolm Shaw, Art robot, Jesus Redondo, lettering robots, Ta- Tony Jacob, and Bill Nuttall. I don't think I'm ever going to guess where this comic goes. Uh, anyone who anyone who successfully guesses what's going to happen in a month of in a month of Return to Armageddon <laughs> is like a, a fool is like a liar or a madman, basically. It's so true. God, I love. Anyway. Let's let's jump into this. The story's so good, guys. Indeed. All right, so Melty Hero Amtrak and his robot buddy Seeker. <laughs> they're on the hunt to stop the destroyer. First they have to find Alabama Watts, who knows the location of the Stones of Eternity. The- if we recall, Alabama Watts is a complete jerkwad who just kind of wants to bribe his way up the military chain. Yeah, he's the uh, he's the captain of the ship from the very start of this story. Mm-hmm. So, the pair head for Earth, but are stopped by a custom ship. Our heroes try to avoid it and enter Earth's atmosphere, but the customs guys give chase, quickly shooting them down. The customs guys... I think that's the point, right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's why you have a custom ship in the first place. They investigate the wreckage and discover that despite his melty form and multiple crashes and shootings, of course, that Amtrak can't die. Well, they tried to give him, like, uh, the sweet release of death, and they're just like, oh, he's all goopy and coming back to life. It's definitely the second time Amtrak has been mercy-killed in the course of this comic. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so horrible. But hey, guess what? The guy who shot him, it's Atlanta Watts. That's right. Yeah, well, they... they, (laughs) He uh, he also decides that, hey, I can... This guy's a freak. I can sell this freak to uh, make some money and stuff. Or my oh name my isn't Atlanta Watts. <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm going to make money, and I'm going to make a lot of money and buy myself a sweet position, and it's going to be great because I'll have bought it, and that means that I'll have it, I guess. Yeah, it's very, like, the future, this is very, like, sort of, I don't know, in, uh, in like, Horatio Hornblower, like that sort of Napoleonic-era Britain stuff, uh, officers' yeah. commissions were often purchased by rich folks. And so this is sort of a futuristic version of it. That's very kind of interesting, I guess. Yeah, it's like, oh, I love this goddamn comic. <laughs> yeah, but so it looks like Watts didn't make that much from the body of that destroyer clone or like the corpse of that destroyer uh, thing mm-hmm. they found at the start of the comic, but figures that a man can't, that can't die can make much more. 
over the objections of his second-in-command, Celis. They net up Amtrak and take him to the circus. As what else are you going to do with the goopy man? You ain't going to touch him. <laughs> no, you got to net that guy. As as Amtrak's robot pal Seeker rises from the wreckage, missing an arm. Watts sells Amtrak's to this guy Trapper, a big fat owner of the circus, for a ton of money. He's so awesome. Trapper's kind of like he is exactly the kind of villain you expect to be running a freak circus. <laughs> He's a very kind of Sydney Green Street kind of look to him, if you ask yeah. me. Yeah. So Amtrak is horrified to learn that the man he was looking for has sold him into slavery and that now he's a sideshow attraction. Meanwhile, Watts is contacted by our space pirate buddy Havoc on orders from the Destroyer, which is not that good. (laughs) No, they're definitely going to try and go and kill him. Mm -hmm. So Amtrak becomes the star of the circus as we test the limits of his ability to recover from death. Whoa, buddy. It is super gross, but kind of amazing. (laughs) <laughs> it's it is amazing how many people are just lined up and like I want to kill him next. No, I want to kill I'm him. Tarnation, I'm going to shoot him. I'm going to blast him into a thousand bits, and then he <laughs> he. But then he's regrowing from those thousand bits. Oh my golly! They napalm him for God's it's sake. True, a guy with a flamethrower napalms him. This is a very, very, very southern part of the future. That return to Armageddon is taking place in the suddenly. Oh, so amazing. <laughs> so, meanwhile, Watts and Celis meet in Watts' bedroom to talk strategy about the meeting of Havoc, which seems interesting. <laughs> um, we're, I'm getting some coded things from these guys' relationship. I'm not sure. Hey, you know, look, Celis is like definitely, you know, like bottom. Let's let's move on. That night, the other freaks. <laughs> Jealous of Amtrak's huge popularity, kidnap him and then take him to a building site, encasing him in cement. He's stuck Which in a. Is horrible. It's te- yeah, no, these because he's not going to die in there. He's going to be in that rock for the rest of his life. They're just like we're not going to lose our jobs because of this weird, gross, sticky man. Yeah, wait, hey, definitely. Yeah, these guys are all. They got a couple heads or like a bird guy and stuff. You know, they got to keep their jobs. <laughs> Anyhow, Amtrak's stuck in a stone slab that'll be used as one of thousands of other stone slabs in the building of a building. will be there forever. Uh, T.S. Amtrak. <laughs> uh, the, the freaks. Ha- so with the freaks having trapped Amtrak in a stone slab, uh, but not before one of the, the winged guys stole his fancy time travel belt. Luckily, Seeker is on the case. He arrives at the circus. He threatens Trapper, who isn't worried at first because, of course, robots can't hurt humans. But that's only true for robots made by humans, which Seeker isn't. (laughs) Yeah, always know. Crushes his gun and he's like, "I will do this to your fucking hands." (laughs) Absolutely, all of your body. Yeah. After some quick blasting, Seeker and Trapper both learn that Amtrak is missing from his cell. And Seeker quickly recognizes Amtrak's belt on one of the freaks. They go oh, to the wow. building site. It's impossible to tell which slab Amtrak is currently in without a life tracker. But why worry about that, says Trapper, when a bunch of security robots have descended on them and will sort of settle Seeker's hash, hopefully. And I really want to know what happens next. And this is the end. And it's, I'm so upset. <laughs> next episode, The Ability to Lie. Just really exciting for me. I can't <laughs> wait. It's pretty good, man. Oh, man, Return to Armageddon so crazy. It's so good. And nothing... Like, 
oh, circus, dude. I can't I just believe wasn't expecting circus. I just can't believe how long Amtrak has been melty. You know? Yeah. Like I feel like Not in a true. in a lot of stories, you'd have a guy be melty for maybe a prog or two. You know, for just a little bit, just to prove it, and then sort of return them, you know? I mean, Amtrak's yeah. not going to be melty for the whole time. I'll sort of spoil you with that, Fox. Um, but, like, they really kind of commit to him being melty for a long time. Like, more than yeah. you would more than you would think. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it definitely feels like, um, like trials, right? Like, mm-hmm. he's seeing the worst of a lot of things. It's true. And he's yeah. still got a the good guy like the the good to balance evil sort of thing yeah he's definitely suffering quite a bit for our sins if you want to go that far yeah it's like i'm i'm not going straight into allegory territory yet nah. but it's definitely got like uh like a in order to be good you have to like kind of face the worst and still be all right yeah i mean that. the allegory is there when the bad guy's literally a devil right so you don't, <laughs> you don't have to get too far into it <laughs> I'm just glad his name is Amtrak and not something else with an A. The guy's name is Amtrak, dude. That's a train. Anyhow. <laughs> that is a choo-choo train. <laughs> Anyhow. Totally a choo-choo. I don't want to bring that up all the time, but man, it's true. <laughs> yeah, every time I read it, man, I just think, damn, I love going to uh, like kind of a, a dirty snack car and getting uh, like a Budweiser. <laughs> Because that's the only beer they have, and like maybe some assorted chips. These are weird, sorry, crisps. Yeah, these are weird American train references. Anyhow, <laughs> disclaimer. Let's move on to our our midpoint. Cool things down a little bit as we then get to our crazy second half, which has just all the, a ton of good stuff with non thrills, covers, nerve centers, and dash decent. So, Prague 198, the Thrill Suckers get their revenge in an awesome double-sized cover by Ian Gibson. They're swarming out of that punk kid's ears as he munches on crisps. Oh, no, on chips, I should say. Uh, whatever. Oh, chips. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Got you. In the, uh, in the nerve center, Thark the Gladiator gets us hyped Thark up. the Gladiator! For par- Prague 100, writers demand to know when Nick Stone is going to melt. I told you this is going to happen. Uh, <laughs> They they complain about cut on cutout coupon contests destroying the backs of uh, pages of comics, which I've heard from uh, our listeners on Twitter like twenty years later also complaining about. <laughs> like, it's, it's devalued all my old prongs. <laughs> they had little shields cut out of the back of pages. Um, I mean, I know what Dark would say. Just be like, just go buy another one. That's right. Dang it. <laughs> Um, and also, people complain about how Mick McMahon draws feet. He draws big feet. That's just a, that's just the truth. Um, and sometimes people got big feet. I mean, you know, feet ch- cho- you know feet size is always a constant problem in terms of various eras of comic book drawing, right? Because it's a Leafield reference, anyhow. Um, uh-huh. Also, uh, a picture of Tharg the sewer droid brings back Rojaws to letters pages, if ever so briefly, towards the end of the prog. There's a gallery of writers' drawings, which is a combo of 2000 AD and created characters featuring both heroes and villains. There's a pretty gross Mekon picture that I like, as well as yeah. a, a winged Octobot, which is a lot of fun. Okay, so Deadlock was awesome, mm-hmm. and I liked uh, Average Alien Villain. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, all of these um, ones, like, 
I have two standards for these for these kids' drawings of stuff in 2000 AD, and that's one if they're actually good, and two if they're clearly drawn by like a seven year old kid just trying to like put something in there. I I, I give a lot of of uh, awards for effort in these drawings. Yeah, like Robo Hunter's adorable. Yeah, but, I mean you know definitely drawn by a kid. Mm-hmm. But that's fine too. Yeah. So uh, this prog has a big 2000 AD reader poll. Of just what do you like, what do you want to see more of, etc. And the final episode of Dash Decent. Oh, thank God. Professor Zelami is debrainwashed and Pong is defeated by the heroic Microbe Men. Leaving Dash himself, the odd man, out during the victory celebration. So ends Dash Decent. Oh, and it, even though it says for now, I'm just glad that... It's forever. No, not for now. Uh, we also get some 1980 well, reader profiles. Most people like Future War the most, and at least one reader really dislikes Wolfie Smith, which is fair. I understand your feelings! In Prague 199, Brian Bolland draws an awesome ca- Captain Skank attacking Dread. Time to die, mateys! Uh... There's more reader art and profiles to start this prog. I'm partial to this crazy future dog, the Gladdenhund, as well as a Stentho, the native of Evan Drax 9. A I was lo- going to say Slur, Terror of the Galaxy, mm. and definitely the native of Yvonne Drax 9. Yeah, I like how, you know, we sort of have some of some of our Venn diagrams for favorite kid drawings overlap. I like that. Um, <laughs> Look, it's got an axe and a knife and like five hands. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, a lot of uh, of uh, Prog 1 or profiles this week. A lot of people reading from the first Prog. So, so far, all like both profiles have had a, at least one female respondent, which is interesting. In, well, that's awesome. Yeah, in the nerve center, both Tharg the Mastermind and Flash Tharg remind us of Prog 200. Several letters are argue that Meltdown Man isn't a Planet of the Apes ripoff, which I, I tend to agree to, I think. Yeah, and, actually. Uh, we see the winners of the roller skate competition, which is a very fast turnaround time, because I think that was like only one or two episodes ago, versus oh. like some that take like a year for them to figure out the winners for. Well, congratulate to, or congratulations to all 50 past Earthlets. Yeah. Where is London SW17? Is that a real place? I feel, yeah, I feel like it's like just like a uh, part of London, like, like a neighborhood or something. I don't know. Instead of calling them sectors, they just name them something polite. <sighs> Their ways are mysterious to me. Anyhow, <laughs> in Prague 200, I, Thorg, bring you future worlds. Oh my god, so many future worlds. Yeah, Robin Smith draws a very neat cover with the full poster as a preview of it inside of it. Uh, there's no nerve center this week, instead just telegrams congratulating Tharg on the milestone uh, prog number. There's also news of Rojas' galactic pardon, and precise rules for th- letters and drawings, no tracing, no back issues available. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um... This issue ends with the start of the Future World poster, which is a massive two-by-three page poster. So, you know, uh, whatever, three progs pages on the top, three prog pages on the bottom. It's real big. It's like two feet by two feet, basically. Or like like one and a half feet by by two feet, I guess. We start with a... It's pretty mighty. Yeah, it's awesome. We start with a giant Tharg, which is the, uh, the top middle part, along with a bunch of secondary characters sort of in tiny around him. There's like Dash Decent, Captain Clep, Bonjo from Beyond the Stars, 
uh, Big E, the Mekon, Tweak, the Gronk, and I think maybe a Biog. Well, so there's so definitely a Biog, but there's also um, why am I forgetting the Martian super ruler with the great hair? Oh, uh, Mr. Friday. Yeah, he's Miss, in back. Mr. Monday. Friday's all the way back. <laughs> or Mr. Monday, yeah. yeah. Hey, man, you got to get these early guys in when you can. So uh, in Prague 201, Ian Gibson provides an awesome action scene as some yahoos in a hover bike are attacking the Council of Five and Judge Dredd. In the nerve center, yeah, in the nerve center, Tharg demands to know readers' favorite stories, not just uh, characters or series. There's a pretty sweet picture of an of the alien warrior Zaz that gets ten pounds uh, a winner, <laughs> and a writer asks why uh, Judge Dredd's bike, helmet, and uniform design have changed over time. The answer is, of course, lighten up, kid. Um, <laughs> there's also pictures of of Tharg the of Tharg the policeman dash decent the twit of the law and a very impressionistic oh. strontium dog. I'll say. I mean, it's definitely got a lot of shadow situations going on. Yeah, M- more letters. Um, called the Rosette of Sirius Tharg's forehead gem a flower tattoo and a kid <laughs> named Michael Thorne from the Association for the Right Names for Terrans demands an end to the use of the word Earthlit for humans. Tharg is unimpressed by the request. <laughs> the, uh, the, pro- <laughs> the frog ends with the second panel of the future wor- world's poster. Um, and this all, it seems like each section is covering a different kind of thrill. So this one's covering future war. There's so awesome. ABC Warriors, the VCs, my buddy and yours, Bill Savage. There's a Clegg oh, yeah. and, a, and a general blood and guts from the Cursed Earth. Their password is freedom. That's so great. It's a real cool poster, man. There's just all these, like, it's it just, it, it like, even just these two panels just really give you a sense of just how many characters and stuff there have been in the last 200 progs of 2000 AD. I miss ABC Warriors. Me too, buddy. Oh, man. We're doing a collection of them at some point in the course of our collection yeah. episodes, so stay tuned for that, for sure. Man, that's going to be so much fun. Yeah. Anyway. So, anyway. Hey, speaking of yahoos on hover bikes, Fox, and just generally other things, <laughs> Captain Skanks and such, it's Thrill for Judge Dredd. Yeah, script robot for Judge Dredd is John Wagner and Alan Grant writing as T.B. Grover. Art robot Ron Smith and Ian Gibson writing as Emberton. Letter robot Tom Frame. Oh, Tom Frame. <laughs> so Armageddon has arrived in Mega City One as a new kits the Bob Oppenheimer block, which is ironic. It's really intensely devastating. Yeah, it's man. Like this full color explosive image. Armageddon has arrived. We we cut back to two hours ago as Captain Skank and his right hand man. Tuscarossa use the info from kidnapped scientist Geno Matrix to retrofit a bunch of nuclear missiles and fire 30 of them at Mega City One. These fucking names are amazing. It's true. We get some awesome pictures of just the Mega City One defense grid going into action. The uh, the MIRV nature of modern nukes, like each once they get close enough, each one spills out like a hundred a hundred other nukes that are even harder for, harder for like the laser grid to shoot down and stuff. So bizarre. It's nukes real shooting nukes. It's real awesome. But eventually all but one of the deadly warheads are destroyed. But that is enough for it to make a direct hit on the Bob Oppenheimer block and kill millions of people in the tightly packed Mega Mega City One. 
I think, ten mile radius is like blown apart. People yeah. are melting and exploding, and then some of them are just radiation poisoned. And yeah, out. I mean it's your standard sort of like here's how nuclear fallout works. But yeah, like at least apparently, I think the number is like four million people die in an instant because of this nuke. And observe the hand waving that goes on from the Justice Department as they breeze over that topic every time it's brought up. Well, I mean they've got better things. They, they've got bigger things to do, and that's retaliation. Yeah, big time. They're going to go after this dude with a apparently a flying thing that can also be a submersible. Yeah, man. Yeah. So back at the hideout, uh, Geno Matrix is having a full Ron Smith freak out. He draws her real crazy, and it's real awesome. Um, and an army of judges pile into a submarine plane thing to head out to Skank's base and take him down. This is like my favorite color page next. It's so pretty. It's cool, man. Yeah, it's just the uh, it's the ju- it's the plane tank flying and assaulting the defense platform inside. The so the judges attack and it's just they're fighting tooth and nail against these pirates. Most of the pirates, including Tuscarossa, thinking that a sk- thinking mysteriously Skank has <laughs> served his purpose, hit the lifeboats. But the judges take control of the platform's weapons and blast them all out of the sea. Oh, they're all dead. Yeah, Dread. <laughs> Absolutely. Dread takes on Captain Skank, who quickly summons his mother, who will recall is a giant squid monster, Drock! Where the squid tentacles are little also monsters with yeah. eyes and teeth. Each, each tentacle ends in five little tooth monsters, basically. <laughs> it's awesome. So insane. So Dread fights the squid, and man, it's just the greatest. He, uh, he grabs a pirate he loses his gun but grabs a pirate cutlass and starts chopping tentacles and stuff eventually he manages to grab a high voltage wire and electrocutes both the squid and captain skank to death and like he's caught in this electricity but because i guess his like suit is yeah he's got an yeah his insulated judge uh, a judge uniform prevents makes him be able to survive the brunt of the of the electricity attack God, they're just super people. Yeah. Don't mess with these judges, dude. <laughs> it's fucking serious. You know, f- f- fear the badge. You earned it with his blood. You know, fear the gun. The sentence <laughs> might be death because he is the law. Um, anyhow. <laughs> um, uh, a Matrix and her tech people are all arrested and uh, put in prison for their hand and the millions of people who've, who've died in the nuclear attack, which seems fair. Yeah, hello. Like, sometimes you just gotta choose to be killed, I don't know. Um, and uh, Which sucks, but yeah. I mean... I mean, counterpoint, four million dead people. Uh, we learned so, that, that, that Skank was being remote-controlled by his second-in-command, Tuscarossa, whose body we found. And it turns out he was a fake mutant. This whole thing was a false flag! He's not a... Oh, my God! What's underneath all this fake goop and shit he put all oh my god tuscarossa sub block top agent nikita cram it was the subs all along oh my god what are we gonna do they go real cool with it the judges return cram's body to the sobs in a coffin with a note attached our missiles are prepared we await your response signed judge dread damn not ready to go to all-out war with Mega City 1. Not yet. These Sovs instead make a gesture, exploding one of their own nukes in East Meg 1, an eye for an eye, I suppose, but rest assured, this ain't over. Damn, man. 
cold. Yeah, you gotta. They had to do as uh, you know, retaliate against themselves to stop uh, you know, the nukes from flying. So fucking crazy. Anyhow, after some of that, you know, um, <laughs> ridiculous really p- pirate shit. fights and tense nuclear brinksmanship, Fox, let's just watch a fun game show. All right, <laughs> one that's about apparently confessing to crime that's right it's called any confessions it's hosted by corn o'connor who is clearly a futuristic version of uh contemporary game show host des o'connor who <sighs> will recall was the namesake of that one city block where barney the city computer started granting everybody's dearest wishes back like oh. in christmas 1979 mm. yeah it's a weird thing but so uh basically in this show Couples confess to crimes they've committed for cash and prizes, which they'll receive after they serve their jail time. Because after they arrest, they basically, after they confess, basically just bring a judge out to arrest them. Well, I mean, you know, Conrad, that doesn't seem so bad. I mean, like, you're locking up the criminals, right? Absolutely, yeah. All the lawbreakers go to jail, and the Justice Department is basically pretty cool with this show. Except for Dread, of course. What's his freaking problem? All these arrests. Like, it's a good thing that all these people are getting arrested. He just doesn't like it. And so he gets a list of future contestants for the show and has them followed and finds out that (laughs) they're now in advance of the show committing new, bigger crimes so they'll be able to win more when they go on the show to eventually confess to them. Oh, well, that's not good. Yeah. Dredd takes this to the Council of Five, you know, the rulers of the city. Um, and who, who are, in this case, meeting on an open rooftop for some reason. Three of the council, including um, my buddy Hilda Magruder and Judge Pepper, who will, of course, re- remember, ser- um, served heroically with Dredge, with Dredd and Chief Judge Griffin during the Judge Cal um, situation, vote to keep the show around. But wait, look! A pair of any confessions contestants are coming to attack the council meeting on this helicopter hoverbike. Not, I mean, that's such a bad idea. It's cool, though. Judge Pepper is hit, and Dredd shoots down the assassins. Judge Pepper Damn. dies in, in Chief Judge Griffin's arms, and the council decides to ban the show. I loved this part because the psyops judge guy yeah. was like, here, here, I foresaw trouble all along. Yeah, note that he didn't vote in the first place. Freaking exactly. side judges. <laughs> Fucking A, man. But so, yeah, the show is shut down. Confessions will no longer be televised, but feel free to turn yourself into any passing judge. Next next time, when a lawmaster goes haywire. I want to read that one. And I'll just say, um, not next episode, but the episode after that. Oh, man, just their graffiti situation in Mega City 1's getting out of control. If only there was something we could do about it. Ooh, it's a spoiler. Okay. Uh, oh. <laughs> but hey, speaking of, I don't know, people confessing? No, that's not good. <laughs> oh, um, it's it's not 1992's Batman Returns with an all-star uh, animal-slash-person cast. It's actually... Thrill 5, Meltdown Man. <laughs> I want to hear your explanation for this. But first, <laughs> script, script robot Alan Hebden, art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, lettering robot Jack Potter. All right, Meltdown Man. <laughs> Dude, so it's because it has, it has Batman, mm-hmm. it has Catwoman, mm. and it has the Penguin. 
Wait, who's the penguin? Is it one of the one of the goons? Is there a penguin in there? Uh, it's Danny DeVito. No, I, <laughs> I meant Meltdown Man. Who's the penguin? <laughs> oh, oh, oh! I mean, I didn't have one, but you know, it's like anthropomorphic kind of. You know, that's whatever. fair. Okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, so, I don't promise that my jokes are well crafted. I just don't, promise that you could, if you squinted, call them jokes. I like them. <laughs> uh, so, Gruff the Wolfman is on his way to meet the UG Brigands. On his way, he runs into a predator camp, despite warnings from Vulture Man lookouts. This leads to a confrontation, with Gruff being saved by the Brigands' main force, led by Polax the Bear Man. I mean, like, I love bear men. Yeah, <laughs> since, why not? Since Shinko and since, uh, uh, God, why am I forgetting his name? Ursa? Yeah, like, we're ready. This guy, this guy's pretty great, too, and yeah. he's nuts. Gruff was expecting a different leader, like a lion guy, and is worried about Polax's loyalty, but explains the plan to him anyway. Polax immediately decides to betray Gruff and Nick Stone and take the guns for himself, of course. Um, of course. And because Billy the Pup, the Predator Tracker, is closing in on Gruff, Polax sends Gruff back to Stone along with a pair of goons that are supposed to protect him from Billy the Pup, but instead prepare to kill him in his sleep. You know, they're sharpening his knives while like he's sleeping in the most awkward way. His like face is on the ground, but his butt is in the air. It's... I mean, I've seen enough enough like internet pictures of dogs sleeping weird to make this seem realistic. Um, exactly. Gr- Gruff dreams of Polax's betrayal and wakes up from his nightmare, only to find him actually find himself actually being betrayed by Polax's men. <laughs> the, That's weird sixth sense there, dog yeah, buddy. The timely interaction of Billy the pup intervention of Billy the pup allows Gruff to escape, but now Billy and Lashar. Uh, know where he's heading, a place called the Frying Pan, where another band of UG renegades live. Meanwhile, T-Bone, along with King Seth in the sack, uh, get aboard a paddle boat to meet Stone <laughs> and Liana at the first rendezvous point, the Hell Drop. The Hell's Drop, I should say. Which, so. I guess, is like the easiest way to to get there is by what they call a paddle steamer. Yeah. It really just looks like a steamboat. Basically. Apart. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a sort of UG base and stuff. But yeah, you know, you go, it's a big waterfall, so you take the river. That seems reasonable. Yeah. Along the way, some humans capsize a nearby UG fishing vessel, but all, like, the lifeguard and harbor patrol there are only there for humans, not UGs. T-Bone intervenes and almost gets himself arrested until King Seth has the predators start ramming human boats. King Seth in a sack. He's like, ah, I guess go kill him. Yeah. They, I guess they do. After this happens, Lee Shar, uh, he hears about it and realizes that Seth must be aboard that paddle boat giving people instructions. Uh, and it might, and following them might even lead him to Stone. We gotta stop that snake. And hey, why not kill Stone in the process too, right? So, you know, you get them all in one basket and you drop that basket. So. <laughs> Hell's down of waterfall. Oh yeah, Hell's Drop is a big old waterfall that UGs can ride down barrel style, and if they live, they're granted human status. But of course, no one lives. And on the other side of this cliff that's facing the waterfall are a bunch of humans cheering for blood. Oh yeah, with humans are all—all all these humans are terrible, dude. One hundred. If there's a way for them to be terrible, they are doing it. <laughs> it's like straight out, man. Yeah. Stone sees T-Bone, and as he and Liana go to meet him, they are in turn sighted by Lee Shar and Tiger Commander, and the hunt is on! 
Tiger Commander. He's the best. Leeshar and Tiger Commander. They're in there. It's that scorpion-looking death helicopter thing. Stone and Liana grab a motorboat. They dodge some missiles. They just have general sort of helicopter versus motorboat. Uh, you know, boat action. But eventually, yeah. they go over the falls. Well, they, they shoot a fucking beam that magically makes their fucking engine disappear they're yeah. like cut in half it's good and so they just fall down falls without a thing but yeah and why not blow up a steamboat <laughs> yeah well <laughs> tiger commander sees t-bone in the steamboat and then they fire at it and blow him up uh trying to get him and king seth stone liana survive the falls boat intact they pick up the bodies of t-bone and seth who are okay and they paddle off to safety uh, and weirdly, like, befriend Seth because I guess Seth's got some info. Well, you know, Stone's about to throttle Seth or let him drown or something, and then Seth explains that he knows how to get Stone home. And in doing so, he reveals the truth about the map of the world we saw a few epi- a few issues ago, which is that it's actually a map of upside-down South America! Bam, bam, bam! Oh my god! <laughs> so... Leeshar and the Predators investigate the wreckage of the various boats, but find no sign of Stone, Seth, and the others. Meanwhile, Stone is kind of in full freakout mode about this world being (laughs) upside down South America, like the sun rises in the west and things like that from our perspective of what South America looks like now. Uh, but it's cut short by the arrival of some Predator scouts. The team manages to trick them by hiding on, on the underside of a cliff in a cavern and make camp. Damn, we gotta get the hell out of here. Yeah, Stone sends T-Bone and Liana out to scout while he talks to Seth on his own. Learns that this planet that they're on is Earth, but thousands of years in the future. And apparently a lot has changed. I feel like you ain't getting back now, bud. Mm. But before they can even get into it, T-Bone interrupts them because torches have appeared on the horizon, which is very odd. Liana went to investigate, but hasn't come back in a while. We find that she's got her leg trapped in a creeper vine and has been caught by Polaxe and his goons. And instead of, like, what you would think would happen as adults, they're like, now nah, we're going to kick her up. <laughs> I'm a big fan of Polax's goons, Fox, I gotta say. Like, pre- oh, that's because they are holding torches and looking silly. Yeah, man. Previously, they had like a, a warthog goon. Like, that was one of the ones that was escorting Gruff. I think at the end of this, he's got like a tapir goon, I believe. Yes, he does. <laughs> he does have a tapir. So, like, they just got there's a lot of biodiversity in these brigands, and I really appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, what's a tapir fucking Yuji gonna be for? It's when we get in sort of the edges of these places that we see the Yuji's that really don't like what what why do they make this Yuji like what's a vulture Yuji supposed to do <laughs> you know I mean I would imagine eat like all the garbage meat so it doesn't smell so bad or but whatever, like they but... toss garbage in the vats buddy that doesn't even make sense yeah, within the world oh yeah <laughs> man I got no answer for yeah. you because like vultures are the ugliest bird I don't know it's fun though man uh, meltdown man. Got a lot of action. So got a lot of animal men. Got some <laughs> crazy revelations <laughs> now. I don't know what else you want from Meltdown Man at this point. <laughs> I I want it to be made into a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live action movie. Oh my gosh. Movie. <laughs> like rubber suits and like Bebop and Rocksteady situations, you know? Bad overacting. Oh man. Okay, yeah, I could get I, I would kickstart this idea. All right. <laughs> 
I write? <laughs> like, get the Henson people to fucking get behind it. Make it look good. Yeah, man. It's a real fun story for sure. And speaking of the start of awesome new stories, Fox. <gasps> Thrill 6 Strontium Dog. Oh, fuck. Yes. Yes, buddy. Yes, indeed. So, script robots Alan Grant, art robot Carlos Escara, lettering robot Steve Potter, Johnny and Wolf, back at it again in Prague 200. Fuck yeah, dude. This oh, God, I love these two. Absolutely. This time they're taking down pro-killer Gogo Gobber and his goons. Our, uh, our boys make quick work of them. They hit the goons with a time bomb, warping them several hours into the pe- into the future. Finally! Several, several days into the future, where the planet has moved on, so they're just sort of frozen to death in deep space. So awesome. And they arrest Gobber, though the norms, of course, are quick to say that they still hate mutants, because goddamn these norms, basically. Yeah. Uh. On the, uh, on, the, on the spaceship ride home, the boys, along with the Gronk, are looking for a new contract, for, for a new target, and Johnny stops at the name Nelson B. Creelman, a small bounty, but Johnny wants it bad. They oh arrive God. on the planet Stav- uh, Stavros and learn the Creelman is hiding out in, a bad la- in the Badlands with his own army of goons. Where's the snake man? On the way, they're stopped by another Strontium dog, Egghead, who claims oh, the bounty. God, I love it. Johnny disagrees. And after Egghead throws the first punch, Johnny proceeds to kick the yoke out of him. Like, it really just beats the shit out of him until his head actually cracks. <laughs> that's pretty awesome. I wonder if that, like, hopefully that's not a permanent injury for that guy. He can recover. Yeah. Uh, Johnny I Wolf. I was a tough egg, but Johnny Alpha's hard boiled. Oh man! The, okay, Eggheads canonically talks like Don Knotts now. That's just how it goes. <laughs> um, Johnny and Wolf head out, and Wolf asks, "What has Johnny so fired up about all this?" The answer is Nelson B. Creelman is Johnny Alpha's father. Oh my God! So awesome. Portrait of a mutant has begun. This is like a thing, huh? This is like the one of the greatest uh, Johnny Alpha stories right here, buddy. It's going to be with us for quite a few weeks. In his fortress aboard Nelson B. Creelman, like playing the House of Cards and stuff, uh, learns that Johnny's after him and freaks out. Meanwhile, Johnny begins telling his life story to Wolf as they speed to Creelman's base on awesome hover bikes. <sighs> The year is 2150. There's, if there's been the Great War, nukes and radiation everywhere. It's mutating everyone. Most cities in England have been completely destroyed. 70% of the population killed. In the Silly Islands, which are off the coast of Cornwall, and I had to look up to see if they actually existed, um, the pregnant Diana Creelman, with her one-year-old daughter Ruth, is determined that her child not be born in an evacuation camp, but on mainland England. She braves strontium showers and arrives on and lands on Plymouth, and slowly makes her way to Salisbury. First by car and then on foot after being attacked by raiders. Oh my god. Creelman sends his men out to find them and they do. Diana gives birth to a son, John. But look at his eyes! He's a mutant! Oh my god. This isn't my baby, probably. Next episode, the boy in the alpha mask. Well, no, it's not that it's not actually his son. It's just that, you know, she was in this... 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, I meant more of like, a, I'm not going to love this baby. Sure. Is what I imagine. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm with you now. Yeah. It's awesome. One thing that I'll tell you right now, Fox, because it happened, it happens 40, like, like 37 years later is that <laughs> there was actually a, a recent story in the Judge Dredd magazine where, um, Judge Dredd, like, stuff happens and Judge Dredd mm-hmm. deals with a bunch of, uh, punk kids from, from Britsit. And one of them was, in fact, like 20 year old Nelson Creelman. And I saw that and I was like, Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> his mother is beautiful, by the way. Yeah, she's, I mean, she definitely has a very like Angelina from, from uh, Stainless Steel Rat kind of look. But, love her hair. Yeah, I love the way, yeah, it's, it's, all this stuff is just great as, as Scara artwork, um, setting this thing up. Yeah, both, um, like, his mom, their awesome hover bikes, everything just looks so neat. And oh man, I'm so excited for this. Oh, again, fans, uh, or, or uh, people who know it's coming, we're still a couple weeks away from, um, certain Scottish, um, mutants from showing, fr- from joining the resistance. But oh man, like, start getting hyped up. <laughs> All right. Generally though, like the, uh, an interesting thing to know is that this thing, 2150, is about 11 years from where the timeline currently is in Judge Dredd. And so, something to keep an eye out as we ourselves move through time. Like, you know. It's very interesting. Of just, like, something to keep in mind that there's this sort of hard, like, hey, there's going to be a nuclear war that's going to kill everyone in 2050. And you just have to wonder how much, you know, 11 years from then. You know, I mean, obviously, in 1980, it's like, who cares? That's way in the future, you know. But... (laughs) But it's coming up. I mean, in 2017, once the comic's been going for 50 years, having to recognize that there's that you've got some hard events, that some events that absolutely have to happen in 2028, you know, becomes I mean, more more reasonable setup, to think bro. about. You know, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. But Fuck yeah, man. Fox, oh man, this was a good <sighs> month, and so the important question becomes. What were your top and bottom thrills for this February 1981? Uh, I am going to use a technicality okay. on this one. Um, and if not, I'll use a different technicality. So I'm here ready. we go. I'm ready for your rules um, lawyering. My, my bottom okay. is Tharg Stories. <laughs> Valid. <laughs> it, was in, it was in three progs. Absolutely. Yeah, no, there's a ton of Tharg stuff. It is, it is the bottom not because it is not mighty. Uh-huh. Simply because he gave us too many thrills in so many different other pages. <laughs> like, I'm not going to badmouth the great one. I'm certainly not going to badmouth him saving us from suckers and, uh, you know, beating up some tyrants of Zerag. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, this is just my least favorite. This was amazing. And uh, hands down, I mean, buddy, all of these things are great. But you know what they're not? They're not fucking Return to Armageddon, Return to Armageddon, Top Squad. It's so awesome. <laughs> like, a, a flashy Birdman being like, look at this belt I stole. It's being sold to the circus and cased in, like, fucking cement. Like, where is this going? I don't even know where it's going next. Mm-hmm. Like, in three issues, this will be like, oh, we're in the middle of the sun. And it'll make absolute sense. And then there'll be a wizard and they teleport somewhere else. And who the fuck knows? Because it just, it goes everywhere with a liberty and a confidence that I love. Um, it's perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> it's Return to Armageddon is so much fun. Yeah. So, Conrad. 
Mm. For you. Your top and your bottom thrills. Oh, man. Um, I know. For bottom, I'm going to agree with you with Tharg the Mighty. Um, you know, the Thrill Sucker story is fine, but didn't really blow me away. The uh, the 200th episode one, also, you know, okay. I really love a lot of the art stuff in it. I'm just a scared drawing crazy aliens and stuff. Um, sure. But, you know, I mean, as always, the problem with Tharg is that he just god modes everything constantly, you know? So there's yeah. never there's, there's never really a ton of, like, question in the, in, in, in the conflict. You know, it's more just sort of how is Tharg going to win this time, you know? Um. <laughs> Superman. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's, I mean, it's, it's like it's, tongue in cheek. Yeah, well, it's all it's all fun instead of serious, but it's still there, you know. Yeah, I agree. Uh, for my top, ooh man, there's a bunch of stuff. Uh, so hard. Return to Armageddon. Like I would say, towards uh, like I've got kind of uh, Mean Arena and Meltdown Man sort of towards my bottom, uh, hovering at the top. Are uh, Dread and Strontium Dog. I like Return to Armageddon as well. I'm going to say Dread this month. Um, yeah, it's damn good. Just all of the, you know, I love when Ron Smith destroys Mega City 1. He's real good at it. Just like showing all these scenes of, of horror and destruction and stuff. That's like, ugh. That's exactly what you want from him. He does a really good job at it of creating these pirates and then sort of having them fight. And then just all of the whole, like continuing a setup of stuff with the Sov cities. We haven't really seen those guys since like 78 um, yeah. with the Luna stuff. So I'm excited oh, to get some more Sov stuff, especially setting up events that'll happen at the start of 82, which I'm, you know, again, just speaking very generally. Um, and um, yeah. So, and then I, I, I liked the, uh, the confession uh, storyline that had just kind of a, fu- you know, fun, just sort of, Mega City One stuff, which I'm always a fan of, and that's really interesting to kill off Judge Pepper, who's been this sort of he's been sort of a character and a dread critic um for a long time, basically since Cal ended. And so to remove him from the storyline is very interesting. It means there's sort of probably more spots or more space for for for, for Magruder to be anti dread in the Council of Five. Mm. And just you know, I just like when there's sort of change ups in the tops of the in the top of Mega City One, you know, in in the top brass and when characters die, it's always very interesting. It's always an interesting choice of just let's kill this guy off. Why not? You know? Yeah. Well, and, and maybe even in some ways just to see the consequences of it. Yeah. I mean, we'll see how yeah. it goes, but yeah, there's a bunch of fun stuff coming up with dread. And I really like this one. Yeah. With both, uh, and especially just, just the art by both Ron Smith and Andy and Gibson, both, but both real good this month. Man, so damn solid. Yeah. So, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can always find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at SpaceSpinner2000 at Gmail on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at SpaceSpinner2K. For everything else, look up SpaceSpinner2000. We should be there. Come back next time as we reach a very important podcast milestone. Young Johnny Alpha joins the resistance. Amtrak starts a robot rebellion. We finish the game with the Southampton Sharks. It's chaos inside the Meltdown Man's resistance. And we see the glorious return of Future Sharks. Oh, bam, bam, bam. Exactly. Break out the air horns. Until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid for three.